This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Tudge, the managing partner at Babylonian Ventures and senior director for investment at Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator. So, Tudge, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Babylonian Ventures. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, thank you, number one, for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, so I started out as a banker um, uh, about 20 plus years ago at Wells Fargo Bank and commercial banking. And, you know, for me, that's that's a, 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 as a founder, that's one something you need to understand, too, is the need for understanding both equity and debt. Um, I, I transitioned from Wells Fargo after about a decade to uh, UBS Investment Bank, working on the asset management side in Beverly Hills. And um, that's where I kind of got my first taste in the startup world, because a lot of our initial clients there on the asset management side were founders who sold their companies earlier and started their own foundations and things of that nature. So really kind of getting the bug there. Uh, subsequently, after finishing uh, business school at Pepperdine and then starting the PhD program at Claremont, I went to TRW Investments, which was a private equity fund. So I really got a great experience from debt to private equity. And it was there I started becoming an equity partner and investor in startup companies in areas of mobile, um, politics, apparel, wine. Um, and it was there I started making making investments and being an equity partner and actually an operational equity partner where some of those positions I took a, a C-suite role um, so I can get some experience as a founder as well and understand that. Um, and then probably about five years ago, I was uh, recruited to join the University of California to launch one of their incubators in Riverside, California, as well as a $10 million fund there. And I uh, led that for a few years to really kind of boost up this whole idea about clean tech. And that's what got me into clean tech from that standpoint. And then about two years ago, I came to Lacey, uh, the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, Senior Director for Investment. And so there I work, we work, we have an internal impact fund where we make investments internally on our, on our companies in our portfolio, as well as liaison with other uh, other funds that are out there, not only uh, venture capital funds, but private equity, uh, family office, uh, philanthropic funds as well. Because in clean tech, we want to understand that there's a plethora of capital to get. Um, and so that's that's my one of my roles at, at Lacey. And Babylonian Ventures is my own personal fund that I still have equity in companies that I'm a, I'm an advisor of and equity partner in as well. Um, but primarily my day to day is working at LAC. That's awesome. And before we go to Babylonian Ventures and LAC, LAC, I pronounced it wrong. But uh, before we do that, I actually want to ask you a question about your introduction. First of all, you have a really deep, deep experience in financial fields, which is awesome. And you've mentioned that many of your clients were uh, actually startup founders who sold their companies and now mm -hmm. founded their, uh, their own foundations, right? Mm -hmm. Many startup founders right now who are raising capital uh, are trying to reach out to past startup founders who already sold their companies and maybe look to invest into someone else. Do you think that it makes sense? Does it even happen that an ex-startup founder who just sold his or her company, they're like, oh, yeah, I got this email, I invested in it. Do, do you think it makes sense? 
Yeah, I, I do, but I think it's I think it's I think fundraising is an art and a science, and it's more than just a deck, and it's more than just an uh, email. It's about a relationship. It's almost like like dating, to be honest with you. The 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 science piece of it is is getting all your stuff together, making sure you have a really great package, a really great deck, you understand the product market fit, all the things that we've been taught about fundraising. The art piece of that is building a relationship because when a person makes an investment, that's not just a, uh, a, a, it's, it's people tend to think that it's more, more, or it's just an intellectual thing, but it's an intellectual and an emotional thing because people want to make an investments in things they believe in. You have to show them a world that's different from the world that it is today and that will be changed with your, your technology, your service or your product. So I, I definitely think there's an opportunity for founders to, to have relationships with other founders. And that's a great way to get capital. Cause me personally, I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of investors being founders prior. Um, I know there are some great investors out there who've never been founders before that have been more on the financial side, but I just think personally for me, um, having an investor that's been a founder before, they understand some of the things you may be going through and some of the things you will go through. Um, and I think that that's very important as you're raising capital, because at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, the amount you're getting or the money you're getting, but it's about who you're getting from, because the really the real value for an investor is beyond the check writing. Mm -hmm. After you get the check, that's the first part. The next part is what can they do with you to make their money last longer, especially in the times that we're in now. Right. That's, that's a good point. So now that you've answered that question in a great way, let's go back to Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator. Can you go a little bit in depth into how it works? What is it yeah. like? Who sponsors it? Absolutely. Thank you for that. So I, I like I mentioned, I came to the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, or LACI, as we call it, uh, about two years ago. Lacey's been around since, since for about seven plus years. Uh, it's it's a clean tech incubator located in downtown Los Angeles in the arts district. And uh, it's funded by uh, a myriad of sources, uh, both private and public funding, which I love because as I was working on my dissertation, that was the focus for me uh, when I was uh, attempting my PhD program where I was focusing on public-private partnerships for economic development. So in Lacey, the funding comes from a few sources, like I mentioned, city funding through black uh, development grants, uh, state funding through through various types of grants as well, uh, county funding from the county of Los Angeles, um, and then private funding. We have funding from private investors as well as corporations and strategic such as BMW, BYD, a number of banks such as Wells Fargo and, um, and others. And so that that focus with those type of capital, what LACE is really, really geared towards is economic development in the city and the county of Los Angeles. So our goal is to make investments and to recruit companies that want to launch in the city and the county of Los Angeles, hire in the city and the county of Los Angeles, and make, make clean tech solutions that are not only for Los Angeles, but for the world. Uh, we focus on three areas, renewable energy, electrification and transportation and circular economy and we, it's a traditional we were even though we're an incubator we've changed our program to mirror an accelerator and the difference between the two is that an incubator it's it's a it's not a time frame of being in it you just kind of in it and that's what we used to do in the past whereas an accelerator there's a set time frame for that uh to to occur and so 
we we have a, a cohort. This cohort just is going to be starting in the next few days. Uh, they'll go through a program within the two years, and in the two years we'll have uh, programmatic elements where they have classroom settings to learn things that are that are beneficial for their business. They'll have people like on my team for investment advice. They have people on the government side for government engagement advice. Uh, we might do pilot programs with these companies where they can deploy their technology with a with a corporate partner or a municipal partner. And then finally, once in their program for six months, they'll be eligible for our impact fund. And our impact fund writes checks between one hundred and five hundred thousand dollars, and we're a sidecar fund. So what that means is that the the companies must have a lead investor, which we also help them try to acquire. Um, and we use those lead investors' terms to write our terms for investment. Holy, this sounds like a great incubator, to be quite honest, even though I want to, to jump into that. But unfortunately, I have uh, a startup in clean tech. <laughs> mm-hmm. So before we go into how you source your deals and how, how should founders reach out to you, I want to ask you, how does this mix of government funding and private investors work together? So I imagine that private investors like banks uh, that invest in Lacey, they have like carried interest or uh, just a share of Lacey while the government just pours in money to get some uh, KPIs, like number of uh, jobs created, et cetera. So is that about how it works? Actually, no, because we're a nonprofit. So a lot of the corporate strategic partners and sponsors that quote unquote invest in Lacey, it's it's from a philanthropic standpoint and a corporate social responsibility standpoint. Uh, From a grant funding standpoint, the grants, like you mentioned, yes, they are for the KPIs, which are really three areas that you look into. Uh, Jobs that are created, uh, number one. Number two, economic development. So those jobs that are are created, uh, how, how, how beneficial they are to those communities, whether in the county or the city of Los Angeles. And then number two, diversity. Um, we, we actively look for diverse founders and actively help our companies have diversity into their, into their sections. And so uh, even as an example, when our, when our f- f- impact fund, one of the frameworks is social responsibility and social impact. And so that social impact talks about a few things, including uh, do you have a female or person of color on your board, C-suite or senior leadership? Or do you have anything that's that's a social responsible type of focus within your company uh, within that's, that's mandated within your company? And so that's that's kind of how the funding for LACE as a whole is, uh, is, is put into our mission and the way the way we do it. Our impact fund, because we are a nonprofit, uh, nonprofits impact the funds with a nonprofit. If they're for profit, they have to be separated. So our impact fund is separated from the the organization nonprofit, and so that has a separate board, that has separate decisions, a separate organization, and so that's what allows us to take funding there. Uh, that's really for different things and true investments. What we're looking for a return. Right. That's that's really cool, and. Uh... Just when you were talking about that, a question popped into my head, and I know myself pretty well, so I know for sure that in a minute I'm going to forget it. So I'm going to ask mm-hmm. it now before moving on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about B Corporation? So uh, B Corporation, I know it requires a ton of work uh, to fit into those criteria of uh, mm-hmm. benefit corporation, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think it makes sense to, to actually put into effort into achieving that B Corporation status? So yeah, so the 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 thing about us is that we we don't require companies to be B corps, benefit 
benefit corporations and B Corps. Um, we, we, you know, part of the, if a per company is a B Corp, that definitely satisfy one of those social impact things that we do. There's a, there's a, there's a great organization in LA called B Labs that does a lot of, um, uh, uh, talks around B Corps and, 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 and things like that. Uh, me personally, I, I think that, you know, one thing I always say is that, um, every investment that you make has an impact and that impact can be positive or negative. The only thing a B Corp does is really kind of showcase what that positive impact is. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that I don't look at, you know, companies who want to be B Corps as a detriment or a lot of difficulties in being it. There are difficulties in raising any type of startup company, whether you're a sole proprietorship, LLC, C Corp, B Corp, or what have you. I think the only difference with a B Corp is that um, you, you really kind of set the flag on what your impact is and, and really kind of focusing on it. But I think that the good thing, the reason why I like clean tech and I got into it is that you can have a company and you can have impact. You don't you don't need to be a B Corp because you're get, you're providing impact as you know it and just by the services and the products that you provide. So I'll give you a perfect ex example of what I see in that is we have a company in the incubator called Amp Air, uh, A-M-P-A-I-R-E. They're a company that's making uh, airplanes into hybrid electric airplanes. Oh. And so even even though they have a, a, a certified clean tech impact of reducing greenhouse gas emissions and reducing jet fuel, you know, the jet fuel that waste on schools like they did in Los Angeles a few months ago. Um, it also has a, a, a traditional, you know, investment impact where it saves more fuel and it's less cost for flying these these products. Um, there, there's there's a different type of uh, benefit you can have for it as well. There's a lot of you know private airports in Santa Monica and San Francisco that have denied uh, small planes from flying because of the, the noise and the electric airplanes reduce that noise factor as well, so you can have more. And then when you talk about impact, you you're talking about a situation that we're in now with with in a post coronavirus world the world is going to be focusing more on logistics and and ordering online so you're going to need to have more things like an ampere to, to to shuttle products from one place to another quickly and efficiently and fast so i, I say i'd like to say i, I think that um and I, I don't i don't think that comp if companies want to explore being a b corp i don't think there's 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 enough there's enough organizations out there to make that transition and to make that experience uh, uh, beneficial and less painful than it was before. And then secondarily at Lacey, you know, we don't, we don't require companies to be B Corps. We just require companies to have a, to have a positive impact. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit too. Uh, how, how do you at Lacey source your deals? Where do you find them? How yeah. should founders reach out to you? Is it just like, they apply on the website and that's all they can do or can they improve their chances of uh being at least reviewed by someone at mm -hmm. lacy yeah well we we to give you an example we just did our our most recent recruitment for our cohort we started recruiting in december and we closed that recruitment i think in around mid early february or mid january rather we had about uh, uh, 75 plus companies apply and we picked 15 from that 75 plus um, Lacey has been what I kind of call a, 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 a kind of undisclosed gem. 
uh, I never learned, learned heard about Lace before me before I joined. I actually got recruited in, from a from a colleague. So Lacey has been doing a lot of great things behind the scenes and really kind of pushing it forward. I think only now we've been doing a lot more kind of outward facing marketing and being known. But I think from a from a startup company, a lot of the companies that we've gotten and the deal flow has been from word of mouth. Um, one thing I love about being in Los Angeles as opposed to other ecosystems is that L- LA is a very closed ecosystem to where closed yet open rather where everyone kind of knows each other and there's a lot of cross referral so a lot a lot of the companies came from other incubators and accelerators that refer companies to us which i think are great a lot of the the companies came from other founders who refer other companies to us and other companies just saw some of the things that we do we also put on two programs or two competitions that are open to non-lazy companies one is called climate cup uh, which is had in the spring that's focused on energy companies. And then one is called the uh, new mobility challenge, which is typically in the fall, which focuses on transportation companies. So we also get companies from those, those two programs as well to come into the incubator. And then lastly, uh, we, we do host some free programs for companies. We have one free program that's funded by the California energy commission called our innovators program. And that program kind of serves also as a, as a deal flow conduit for us, because then we we work with those companies over a year, and then those companies can be companies we can also recruit to go into our full program. And we've had companies to do that as well. Got it. So that's, that's really interesting. I think that there are many, many entities like Lacey that are very little known, uh, while they should be way, way more uh, well known. And what do you think founders should do to actually find those great companies? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, when I was a founder back in, in, you know, when I first started being a founder in, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, you know, 20 years ago is a long time from now. And I can say now that if, if I found a founder now and they're telling me they can't find something, I don't think they would be a good founder because there's so much information that's out there. Actually. <laughs> Access to information is phenomenal now, and 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 the only difference is now is that you have so much access to information, you have to determine what's the best information for you. But so I think that you know with a, with a simple Google search and a simple interview and a simple you know one of the things that that when I was at the University of California, we used to do what's called the NSF I Corps program, the National Science Foundation I Corps program, and part of that program talks about interviewing your first before you build anything, before you even decide on MVP you interview your potential customers to figure out what you're building. And so I say it's the same thing as you're as you're a founder. And if you're looking towards um, uh, trying to figure out what's a great fund or a great uh, incubator or accelerator to go to research, do do your research, ask about research companies has been in those accelerators, Google, what have you. I mean, there are so many tools out there. I mean, when you look at right from a fund standpoint, there's tools like Signal, signal.nfx.com, which is a great tool that just shows all of the the uh, funds that are out there and the sectors that they're in that invest in. When you think about clean, if you're in clean tech, you think about clean tech incubators. Uh, all of the clean tech incubators in the United States are part of what's called um, N2 Accelerator, IN2, which is funded by Wells Fargo. And that focuses on allowing, uh, you know, cross collaborations between companies like Lacey, incubators like Lacey, Powerhouse, Elemental, uh, Greentown Labs, and others. Got it. That's really cool. So you've mentioned two tools, which I think is great. I've heard about Signal multiple times. 
but I've never heard about uh, the second one that you mentioned. So let's, can you give me one more tool? And I'll definitely include the links to those tools in the description of this episode so everyone can take a look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Like I said before, Signal is one of the tools. If you're if you're fun if you're fundraising, if you're in clean tech, and again, I'm speaking specifically in clean tech. If you're in clean tech, uh, the most of the clean tech incubators in the United States are part of the N2 network. I N2. Uh, just a simple Google of that can give you a lot of good information on that uh, on that as well. And then uh, there's a there if you if you're interested in incubators outside of clean tech and just kind of ranking on that. Uh, geez, I'll have to email it to you, Carol, because there's another <laughs> organization and it's, and it's just is losing my mind right now. I can't remember it, but it's another organization that ranks UB, UBI Global, UBI Global. Um, they rank incubators and accelerators globally. So that's another thing, no matter if you're in the United States or other places that you can utilize to kind of look and see where incubators stand. And uh, I'm proud to say that you know last few years, Lacey was kind of ranked number one in the in the in the top five of the clean tech accelerators globally as well in what we do. And so I think that that's another tool, and that's called UBI Global. Awesome! I'll definitely include all those three tools, and if you email me more, I'll include more. And by the way, congrats on uh, Lacey being ranked number one. That's a great achievement. And here I would like to go to your own fund, Babylonian Ventures. Let's talk about that. How, mm-hmm. what do you invest in? I suppose it's so, clean tech? No, no, not clean tech whatsoever. Uh, so for me, as, as a personal color, I'm African-American. What I've noticed was that we, a lot of people of color, were not getting the same type of access to deals and flow that others would. Um, I, I noticed that there are, there are niche uh, investments that are out there for niche communities that were never again looked at that I thought was phenomenal. And so I, I tended to invest in founders of color and women and women founders who are building great companies that make sense in their market. So I'll give you a perfect example of a company I have not invested in, but a company that makes that example. And then I give you an example of a company I did invest in. So there's a company called Shop Latinx that's based in Los Angeles and they're focusing on like the Amazon for Latin owned products. Uh, we tend to forget. I went to school in Chile and Latin America and in South America, rather. And so there's a huge market that's that's that uh, this sometimes underserved uh, when with products that, that speak to those certain cultures and that language as well. And Shop Latinx is essentially at the Amazon of, of Latin culture. And I, and I love a product like that that understands a niche and that focus on it. Uh, one other product that I was an equity uh, advisor, equity partner in uh, was called Voter, which was an interesting company that was founded out of Chapman. And uh, what that company did was they they worked with they they built a platform, a mobile platform that was similar to uh, Tinder, where you can swipe right and swipe left to answer questions. But the questions you were asked were about your were about questions about policy, so about ways you would vote. And at the end of their exercise, it would tell you these are the people that you might want to vote for. And the whole idea was that typically a lot of people would just typically vote for whoever their parents tell them right. to vote for or what have you. But what this product did, it made you think about um, who's the best candidate for you. And it was really targeted for millennials, so another niche type of a market. Uh, and that company was subsequently acquired by Brigade. And so, you know, for me personally, I like to focus on um, founders who are diverse, but also founders who are understanding niche markets to exploit and to really kind of kind of speak to them when nobody else to speak to them. I'll give you one more that I'm really proud of that I thought was really interesting sure. that I end up actually was the CEO of. Uh, 
uh, initially on the on the inaugural launch of it. Uh, we talk about the wine industry, and wine industry is a very stable wine industry. But in the last couple of years, um, they've been losing a lot of market share. Things like craft beer and spirits. And one of this other founder and I partnered to produce this this company called IOTG Media, that essentially was the was the food network for wine. We we made content, uh, entertainment content for the wine sector, so the wine sector can get more in tune with younger population and diverse populations as well. So to give you an example of two things that we did, um, when people typically think of wine and consuming their product, um, they only consume their product with with food. But if you say you can pair wine not only with food, but with fashion, film, and music, that gives you three other avenues to consume their product and thus more sales of their product and engaging in different markets. And so what that culminated as, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, a festival in Napa called Bottle Rock, which is similar to Coachella, uh, but it's focused on wine and music and food. And we were one of the marketing agencies for year two. And so that kind of goes into this whole idea of how do you create this, make this product have a lasting effect with a younger population by by doing something differently while you're making, um, you know, entertainers out of the winemakers who a lot of people don't even know who makes their wine and uh, that they're family businesses. So those are two examples of companies that are personally like that understood this idea of niche marketing. That's great. And actually, I want to get back to the first company that you mentioned. Uh, you said that you liked it a lot, but you didn't invest in it. Why is that? Uh, just, I, I have no more dry platter. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, that company is a that company is a, I met about two years ago. They, they were part of a, another phenomenal accelerator in LA called, uh, Gray 110. Uh, I like Gray 110. They're, they're another, you know, another example of the LA ecosystem, but, um, I've been kind of on the side advising that company company. Um, and and really kind of talk with them, talking them through from a marketplace standpoint, because they're essentially a market marketplace play. But but if I if I did raise another fund, they definitely would be something I would I would take a look at because I like the space that they're in. Um, but but definitely, I think again, I, I think a lot of times too, what people tend to forget that investment is sometimes about capital, but it's also about knowledge capital as well. And so that's one thing I'm providing to Shop Latinx is knowledge capital. Right. So uh, I hope you're going to raise your next fund successfully. And let's go to our probably last two questions. It's three most, mu damn it, <laughs> let me rephrase that. What mm -hmm. do you think are the three must have points on the pitch deck? Yeah, great question. So uh, I'm a very, uh, I'm a very keen person that understands and believes in uh, if it's not broke, don't don't recreate the wheel, you don't need to fix it. So even within our art accelerators, I, I like to use the Y Combinator 10 page uh, pitch deck model. Very simple. You can Google Y Combinator C deck. And again, let me let me reiterate. Uh, a majority of our companies are seed stage companies going towards A, and then we have a program for companies who are A and beyond. So this, this these this suggestions that I'm giving is for seed stage companies. And so Googling Y Combinator seed stage pitch deck is a 10 page pitch deck, very easy, very simple. It has all of the pertinent information that I would need or any other investor would need. And you know you, you you don't run the risk of making something that's too too long where it won't get read or making something that's insufficient. 
So I think that 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 pitch deck is um, is 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 the, the most optimal one. And I'll send you a link to that as well for your audience. Perfect. Definitely will include that as well. And last question, then we'll wrap it up. Three common red flags that you see during the presentation. So when the founder pitches to you, what are the most common uh, red flags that you see? Yeah, yeah. You know, going back to what I mentioned about the NSF I-Core program that that make you do 100 plus interviews with potential clients. One of the red flags I see often a lot with companies is that they're building something no one wants. They're building mm -hmm. something that they believe it's great, but they have to have more than one customer, one more than themselves. So I see that typically a lot in a lot of different companies who are building things or what they haven't done any research on any, you know, what's what's the product market fit? If there's even a market for this product, what is what it makes sense? So I think that's like one of the biggest red flags I see often when I'm always pitched uh, and, I, and I lend my time to people to, to, to pitch me ideas. The next thing I, I think of that I think is really a fault, and, and it, this comes with experience, but it also comes with having mentors in your space, is I see a disconnect with the pricing models. A lot of times, some founders I see try to, you know, figure out ways. And, and ironically, I was just on a call yesterday when a, when a founder and uh, kind of lending some time, and that was a prime example where they didn't really have a grasp on the the amount that they should charge for their product. They just kind of arbitrarily picked a number without really having <laughs> research on it. And so I think that's a huge red flag that you get into. A lot of founders make the mistake on. And then, and then lastly, one of my things, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of teams. I, I think that I think that if you're an early stage company, the fact that you can convince somebody to work for free tells me that you can convince a customer to buy your product that's new. And so one of the other red flags I see is, it, and again, this is not a tried and true. There, there have been scenarios with solo founders where it makes sense and it depends on the industry, but I'm a big proponent of how do you build a team early on and building a team early on. And so for me, I, especially in clean tech, there's a lot of heavy lifting. So I typically like to see you have a, a really strong team um, that's there to work with you on it, even before you get capital, because I think that says a lot about you as 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 a founder and the charisma that you have to to in order to entice people to believe in what you believe and what you're building with a product or or service. That's great. I wanted to make this the last question, but I have one more off top of this one. So you said that sometimes uh -huh. founders just pick an arbitrary number for their pricing model, and I know that for sure. I actually made that mistake myself back in the days when I was starting. And mm -hmm. how should founders do that if they don't have any customer feedback, if they haven't even tried to sell anything yet? When they're just coming up with their first number, how should they do it? Should they just right. take it from their competitors? Yeah, well, that, but that's that's the whole idea about doing the I-Corp. So with the I-Corp program, and again, I'm giving a shout out to the National Science Foundation about this. Uh, what they talk about is before you even build anything, you're doing interviews with potential customers, with potential people who you think would buy your product or with competitors. And so you're getting on this data initially. In addition to that, there are platforms out there like Statistica that are great to understand uh, other types of models and what the competitors are doing. So I, I think that it's a myriad of ways to do it, either through live interviews with potential customers are are with kind of looking at what are the what's the competition out there and determining from that but it has to have some type of base right because 
you know, a lot of times we'll see a, we'll see, a, a, I'll see a company, and let's just say I'll, I'll pick on subscription model companies because I love them, but you'll see a subscription model company that has a subscription pricing and it's like way out of the, out of the market from the competitors. And then you ask, well, okay, well, it, it's okay to be that sometimes, but what's, what's the why? What are you providing that's going to make you make a person want to pay X amount over? what's already the market for, for product and price. So I definitely think that there are tools out there and there's just hustle to, to, to get it and to understand it. Um, give you a perfect example with the, with the wine company. You know, we, we knocked on doors uh, to try to get wine, wine agencies as clients. And a lot of times the doors are shut, but we just never stopped until we got the data and the information that we need to in order to really kind of have what the product would be. And because our product offering even changed as well based upon those interviews and based upon those conversations with potential clients. Got it. So we've gone over our 30 minute benchmark, but I want to ask you very, very last question here. You mentioned uh -huh. iCorp several times that allows you to do like 100 interviews with potential customers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I didn't quite understand what is that company about and how does it work? No. So the, so I, so the National Science, National Science Foundation is a government agency similar mm -hmm. to the National Institute of Health or anything else is what we kind of call the alphabet soup companies and and essentially i is their training program and if you if you're in a college uh most of the college who may have an accelerated program has one of those programs there if, if they may or if you're in a large city you can you can may find a a, a node n-o-d-e-s that's offering that training and it's a training program. It's almost like a classroom and it takes you through everything of learning about starting a company before you start your company. And uh, with the, with the I-Corp program, what, they, what it tells you essentially, one of the things it does amongst many things is it tells you go out there and find customers who, who you're going to target when you build your product, but interview, interview them first. And a lot of times I've seen companies or students interview them as, say, we're doing a student project, so the companies can be more open to having those conversations, or they'll just explicitly mm -hmm. say, hey, this is part of the National Science Foundation uh, program, which which kind of leads some credence to what they're doing. But um, yeah, I, I like it a lot because it wasn't around, I didn't know about it when I was a founder first. I only found out about it after leading the University of California Riverside. But I just thought it was a great free program that can offer another another source that I think is really good too, which which kind of partners sometimes in itself uh, with the ICOR programs are this, the SBDCs that are in various cities, smallest business development uh, centers uh, mm -hmm. that are part of the SBA. Great program that I think founders never take advantage of. I think a lot of small businesses take advantage of SBDCs, and that's where you have a lot of leaning towards that. But there are some that also do have exposure to the tech side of it and great resources to kind of bounce ideas off of and use them as uh, as this initial focus. Because a lot of times, I think uh, one of the other thing I was going to add as a mistake that founders make outside of their pitch deck is that they build before they're understanding what they're building. And so they go out and raise money and they, they do that. And essentially, it's a disconnect because they haven't really done the, the work up front to to elicit the the need for funding um you know and so i think that's that's one of the things that try to get as much free existence as you can before you even raise money mm -hmm. uh because if you're if you're a founder to me that's going to be the first thing i'm gonna ask you what sources what free sources did you go to first before you came to me to ensure that the money that's going to be invested in you 
uh, has been maximized. That's great advice. We're going to wrap it up here, but tons and tons and tons of great sources were mentioned. I haven't heard many of those actually, so I will definitely include the list of those resources with some short description in the description of this episode. So take a look at those, please. And thanks, Touch, for coming up, for sharing all those resources. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you, and thank you for for building a platform like this. This is a, this this is an example of the things that I mentioned about free resources that are out there to learn. You know, I, I'll leave you with this. Um, you know, I, I I'm pretty open, and I talk. I'm very open on social media. I respond to a lot of people there. Um, but there's the you know one of the things I always say is that. I think a lot of the smartest founders take advantage of the of the resources that are free that are out there. Like even in this bad time of coronavirus that we're in right now, there are a lot of free resources that have cut their their costs with when learning from different universities, uh, master classes that are now used to cost them are now free, and and the real smart people are taking advantage of that. And you know, I, I remember a co a founder who I was talking to this weekend, and they were telling me that, you know, another founder wanted to pick their brain about their experience and raising money and everything else. And we we both were, were flabbergasted by it because this founder does things like I'm doing now. They do radio shows, they do blog posts, they talk, what have you. And so that founder, instead of that founder trying to ask for time for this for this other founder on the phone, they simply could have Googled and found things like this radio show find blog posts to find the same mm -hmm. information they would have asked that, that other founder. And so I think that that's one of the things that's, that really, really is, is the thing that angers me is that true founders are going to hustle and understand where to get knowledge and data from and get all that free data first because it's less cost. And that means including their knowledge runway, extending their knowledge runway. And, and the founders who first go to raising capital and first go to you know, just trying to raise funds before ex expanding that knowledge runway are some of the worst founders, in my opinion, because they're not using the capital wisely. And we tend to forget that time is one of the biggest parts of capital that we have, right? Absolutely. Time is money. So. And here we're going to wrap it up. Thanks for your time. Thanks for finding time to participate on Fundraising Radio on a Sunday morning. And have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Have a great one, everybody. Stay safe. You really thought it's the end of the episode? Nope, not yet. In these uncertain times when a weird virus is spinning out of control and investors are trying to figure out where to put their money and not to lose it all, I have an answer. Invest in human capital. I will be among the first 10 people to participate in something called human IPO. So shortly about how it works. You can buy futures on my time now when it costs just $100 per hour. And when I become Mark Zuckerberg 2.0, and my time is worth uh, $1,000 per hour, you can sell it or redeem it, either making 10x return or bringing me to your firm as an advisor or speaker for a few hours. My offering is not live yet, so now you can only subscribe to my updates. But please do so and become the first one to buy my time when my offering goes live. To sum it up, in dark days, buy time, not toilet paper, and your money won't be flushed into the toilet. I'll leave a link to my profile on Human IPO in the description of this episode. And thanks again for listening to Fundraising Radio.